Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of season two of the Inspired Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Dr. Corey Still, and today we are honored to be joined by American Indian Graduate Center Scholar alumna, Sadelta Asawi. Sadelta is a member of the three affiliated tribes, and she's Cherokee. Throughout her career, Sadelta has worked on behalf of Native communities in various capacities at the tribal, state, and national level. She currently serves as the Senior Program Policy Analyst and Specialist in American Indian Alaska Native Liaison with the National Education Association. In this role, she serves as a team lead on racial justice and education, manages national partnerships, and advises on American Indian Alaska Native issues. Previously, Sedelta has also served in the Obama administration as the senior advisor in the Office of the Secretary at the United States Department of Agriculture and as the associate director of the White House Initiative of American Indian and Alaska Native Education. She earned a BA in Public Affairs and Administration and an MED in Adult and Higher Education from the University of Oklahoma. So Sedelta, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for sharing space with us today. Um, and we're going to just go ahead and just jump right in. I, you know, I know we did like the official bio, but I wanted to provide space for you to go ahead and just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. Well, thank you, Dr. Still. Or should I call you Corey, Dr. Still? What do you prefer, sir? Well, we, we have known each other for so long. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> no, I'll, I will go ahead and call you Corey. But um, and don't worry, I will always refer to you as Dr. Still in other settings because I am very respectful of that. And I'm very proud of you for going on to earn that. I know that was an incredible accomplishment for you and very proud of you. So I want to honor that as well. Um, you. you kind of covered a lot of this stuff in my bio. Um, Sedelta Oswe, citizen of the three affiliated tribes, and I'm Cherokee, grew up in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. I now work in Washington, D.C., which is kind of something that I never thought would happen, but I always kind of in the back of my head dreamed would happen. Um, I, you know, kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was in high school and college. I floated around a lot. And I know the one thing I didn't want to do was education because everyone in my family did it. And I was kind of like, I'm going to chart my own path. I'm going to be my own person. And man, I got that education bug um, in my master's program, and it just never left. I kind of think it's a calling. I guess it must be a calling because so many people in my family have done that. Um, and I have the American Indian Graduate Center and the Gates Millennium Scholarship to really thank for getting me into education because after my undergrad degree, I didn't really know where to go. And I you know, was like, well, I guess I can pursue a master's and one of the areas was education. So I went into that field and was very lucky to get a job at Northeastern State University right after in Tahlequah. So I kind of thought I was on a path to do what I wanted, which was live in Tahlequah, have a family and be in education. Things don't always work out the way you imagine. And sometimes they work out in ways better than you can imagine, which I think is what happened with me. Um, I was there for about two and a half years and kind of wanted to explore different options. I wanted to do more. I was curious to see if I could advocate for my students and my community in other ways. So I reached out to my network and ended up kind of in a, in a just crazy turn of events applying for a job in DC at a consulting firm. And before I knew it, um, I had received the job. I'd been given an offer. It was with I attend consulting. And I left my job at NSU. I gave two weeks notice, which was very hard to do because I missed my students. Um, but I went to DC and I, you know, I got there and I was excited. But then that first day of work, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? What am I doing here? I don't belong here. You know, it was very scary. Um, 
I, I talk about this in other places, but it was at that point that I truly realized how invisible Native people are. You know, I'd known that growing up, I had read somewhere that, you know, Native people are only 1% of the population, which I thought was a lie. You know, everyone I knew and I, everyone I knew growing up was Native. So I kind of just, I, read, I went up to my mom because I saw it in the back of a history book and I was like, mom, this says we're 1% of the population. And she was like, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's true. And I was like, oh, my mom's wrong. She, they're all liars. What's going on? This is crazy. And it, you know, at OU, I never felt invisible because I felt myself and I saw myself reflected in so many places. But when I got to DC, I really saw that we are not this, you know, we're not the majority. You know, when you grow up in a tribal community, everyone around you is native. And so you assume that's kind of the case everywhere. And even with social media now, I think we kind of insulate ourselves and think that's the case. But I managed to get to DC on that job and I learned so much, but I missed home. So I came back home for a little bit. And then when I got home, I was like, you know what, I miss DC. And so I reached out to my networks and was invited to apply for the position with the White House Initiative. I received an offer for the job. It was a crazy process. It took about a year for that to happen. But when I got up there, um, I've been up there ever since, since 2012. And I've loved every day of it. Every day feels like a blessing and I'm still honored and surprised that I'm there and I'm very happy to do the work that I do. And I hope that I represent my family and community well in all the work that I do there. So Deva, I think you talk about, you know, the, the whole kind of focal point of today's podcast is talking about advocacy. And I think, you know, you, you talked about one of the big pieces of advocacy in, in talking about visibility, because, you know, I, I agree with you, you know, I, we, we come from the same community. And so growing up, you know, we see ourselves reflected in all these different areas, especially in the community and the state we, we both come from, and that so many of our tribal communities come from. Um, and you really set yourself up for this entire career um, for advocating, you know, advocation through education for native communities in all different capacities, you know, like, like you, like you said, you did it with the White House initiative, but then there was also, like we talked about the USDA when you were in the office of tribal relations and now the work that you do at NEA. Um, and, you know, those are just some of the, the few areas that we talked about. Cause you know, we also know you've worked in a lot of other areas where you've done advocacy work and consulting work at, you know, the national state tribal and, and community levels. So, how has that work of an advocate impacted change for Indian country? You know, I hope it's been positive. I think that one of the major things that, you know, we end up doing in DC, there's a small mighty team of native people in DC that are working on behalf of Indian country every day. They work in Congress, they work for congressmen and, and women. They work on the Hill, they work in the White House, they work at the agencies and departments, and they work at organizations like mine, NEA, and some that are tribal organizations. And our job, I think, is to try to make sure that Indian country is included, that we're represented well. Um, and I, I don't think there's enough of us there. I kind of encourage everyone to do a tour of duty with one of these organizations. I call it a tour of duty because sometimes it feels like warfare out there. <laughs> Um, I learned so much in the federal government. I don't think I understood, you know, my undergrad degree was public affairs and administration, which is basically a political science degree. Um, so I kind of thought I had a good grasp of that when I got into DC, but 
the theory of that and the reality of that are two different things. And so I think that when we have all of these people working together in DC for Indian country, we're trying to increase our visibility and the awareness. Most of my job at times felt like Indian 101 with a lot of people. And I kind of hate to say that, but it was the reality of being in the room and ensuring that our voice is heard, being in the room and ensuring that we're represented, being in the room, making sure someone is saying, what about tribes? What about Indian country? What about you know, our students, what about our teachers, what about our parents and educators, you know, we want to make sure that we always are a voice in those places. And I hope that we've done a good job of trying to increase the visibility of Native people, but I know there's a lot more work to be done, which is why I encourage people to come in. And, you know, one of my jobs is to make sure that whoever takes the position after me is better prepared. And that's what I want to see happen. So if someone comes into the White House initiative in that role, or if someone goes into OTR or in other places, I want to tell them everything I know and be helpful to them so that they can go further and do more than what I was able to accomplish in those positions, because I think we need more people in there, um, kind of in that battle to make sure that we're represented in those places and that our voices are being heard. And you know, I think we talk about again that representation and visibility and, and ensuring that our voices are heard and that's something that you and advocates like you across the country are doing again not just at the national level but at the state level even at the community level definitely at the tribal level um and you know you've also done a lot of that work with with nea now so you know you're advocating for justice and excellence in public education so what are some of the initiatives or policies that are most critical to empower Native students in their educational journeys? You know, one thing I've heard over the years and continue to hear is um, we need culturally relevant curriculum. We need our students to be reflected in the curriculum, not just in the history portions or the social study portions, but just throughout the curriculum. So, you know, we're working with people we're working with organizations to ensure that we have those and that we're working with states to try to see how can we get those implemented and passed either legislation or added to constitutions, like what works best for that and how can we make that happen. But I think one of the biggest initiatives and policies that I'm kind of excited about that I want to see us do more with and that we are trying to do more with is increasing Native educators in the classroom. So how do we get more Native students to think about education as a pathway and a career for them and get in the classroom because, you know, we all have a story of an educator that kind of, I don't want to say saved us, but that we had, that had a good influence on us and that really kind of was a turning point for us. I think of in high school, <clears throat> I had um, the JOM coordinator, her name was Shauna Watson. She was one of the only people in that high school who believed in me and encouraged me and said, hey, you should try out for this. Or did you know this was an opportunity? You need to talk to these people about college. And, you know, my mom's friend, Carol Young, always brought stuff home to us and said, hey, this is an opportunity for the girls. They should fill it out. Let them look at this. When I got to college, Shannon Freeman is the person who kind of told me, she just said, you were applying for this scholarship at the Gates Millennium. And I did it because she told me to. <laughs> and it changed my life. You know, we have these stories of these educators, whether it was in ninth grade, Miss Walker's science class, who was a native woman who knew my parents in front of the classroom. And I just felt like I needed to elevate myself to kind of meet those expectations she set for me by knowing me and my family and knowing the community I come from. Those are so important. And I think it makes such a difference because we also hear the other story where someone says, a teacher made me feel horrible. They made me feel like I didn't belong. They made me feel like I shouldn't be here. 
And so if we can get more native students in the classroom, I think that the impact of that is so powerful. It means so much. And I don't think we recognize it or think about it, but I want more people to be that person. And it also means that people can stay home. You don't have to go away. And I think it can make a huge impact. I think, you know, education is activism. I think being in those classrooms and spaces that often aren't created for us is an act of activism and doing well in those spaces. And so I really wanna see more of our native students consider education as a pathway, as a way to be an activist in their community, to empower their community and the students. And I'm really excited about the initiatives that we're working on at NEA and with our partners to do that. So I think that's one of the most important things we can do right now. Um, and that's one of the one things I'm really excited about. And I think, you know, because you, you talk about, you, you really talk about the importance of highlighting and pushing for more Native representation and Native allies within education and within these different um, spaces. But what are some messages you would most likely share with our non-Native allies? Because, you know, you talked about the importance of understanding and, and the connection that we feel when we, especially as Native students, because I, I was agreeing with everything you were saying, we talked about, you know, we all have, you know, there's that Native teacher, Native faculty that a lot of us can see ourselves in and, and reflect in and see ourselves reflected in and the work that they do. But a lot of times those positions are filled with non-natives. What are some advice or strategies that you have um, for our non-native allies to help better support our communities, both in and outside of education? Um, and again, not only in a large scale policy, but just also in our daily lives. I think one of the most important things an ally can do is to listen um, and not to be, just don't talk as much, listen to what we have to say, hear and truly hear what we're saying. Because I think sometimes, you know, an ally or someone wants to come in and they think they have all the ideas, they think they understand, they think they know, and they're doing it with good intentions. But at the same time, if you're not actually listening to what people are saying, it's not helpful. So listen to your students, listen to the parents, listen to what they actually have to say and be present and continue to be present. You know, I know a lot of people would call and say, hey, we're trying to work with this tribe or trying to do this. And, you know, I always tell them you have to go there and you have to be present. You have to talk to people. You can't just go one time and think you've done your job and check the box. You have to continue to be present in these places. And it may not be easy it may not be fun all the time, but you really have to just show that you are going to continue to show up and be an ally in the work and a partner in the work. And um, I think that's one of the most important things you can do is show up and listen. Um, and I think that that's something that it's very simple, but it's also very hard, you know, because we see people not doing it all the time. <laughs> so it's, it's odd because there's things that's like, well, it's just really easy, but for some reason it's also very difficult. And I think, you know, you, you talk about that relationship building, you know, that's, that is something that is critical, especially when working with tribal communities across Indian country is making sure that um, that relationality is really built and that there's, there's that bond that's formed, not just this one off. Because I think a lot of times, like you said, we've seen um, people come into our communities and there, I'm, I'm here to do this great thing. And then that's the only time we ever see them. 
that's the only time we they ever come in or we never see the the final product mm-hmm. um and we we never see the the fruits of that labor from that one off visit and so I, it, talking about that relationship building and that collaboration i think is important and it's something that you know you and the work that you do kind of centers right so part of it is centering that and promoting those collaborations between different agencies and corporations like you were talking about before really to empower our communities so could you speak to the importance you know we we've kind of talked about it a little bit but what is the importance of that collaboration and how can organizations better collaborate with tribal communities to elevate native voices and communities Right. I think that collaboration is key in really tackling some of these issues because, you know, everyone has their expertise, they have programs, they have resources, they have people that work there that are very helpful, but it's kind of like a puzzle. You need all of the pieces of the puzzle to make this happen. And we only have, you know, limited people and resources. So if we can all come together, it just kind of helps strengthen those resources. So I have this piece of the puzzle, you have that piece. How do we bring those groups together? to better and to improve Indian country education communities. It doesn't have to just be education. I think these are things that work across the board. And you know, in the federal government, that was so true. Every agency kind of touches Indian country in one way or another. And it may not be the, the whole purpose of what they do, but all of those agencies have work that impacts Indian country. So how do we make sure that we're all working together on the same page and you know, doing the same work and or making sure that our efforts aren't duplicative. Like I'm doing this and you're doing this. So why don't I just go ahead and focus on this part and then you can do that part because it doesn't make sense for these limited people and resources that we have all working on the exact same thing when I could do something differently or do something and focus on something else. So I think collaboration is vital to making these things happen. Um, and I think it just kind of helps strengthen the voice and so strengthen the work when we all work together. And, you know, a lot of what I do, and it sounds kind of, it, it doesn't sound glamorous, but it's just kind of making sure that we're all on the same page, basically. You know, are we all speaking the same language? When I say this, do we all mean the same thing? When I say, you know, community and empowerment, what am I, this is what I mean, and this is what it looks like. And so it's just really important to make sure that we get everyone working together because we're stronger together and we can get more done when we work together. Um, And as for working with tribal communities and elevating those voices, I think it goes back to listening and being present and continuing to go in because that's exactly what I was kind of referencing is, you know, people or organizations coming into tribal communities kind of we're gonna save the day, we're gonna save the world, we're gonna do everything and it's one visit and they listen and they take and they hear and then they kind of visit and they have the foods and they get the little tour and then they go and they never come back or you don't see what they actually did after that visit. And so I think that we have a little bit of exhaustion from that of people coming in to kind of save the day. And so you really have to, and that's why I say it to be present because we've had this happen so many times. So you have to continue to show up. You have to continue to be there. and to continue to learn, you know, humble yourself and say, I'm here to learn. I'm here to just be a part of this community. I'm here to listen and I'm here to see what I can do to help you. And like I said, I think that's, you know, you talk about the community, you talk about driving community and and you really talked about just making sure everyone's on the same page. And I think that's, you know, for anyone who has been in, worked in, visited DC, or 
has worked within federal, especially federal government, we know that that's, you know, probably 75% of the battle is making sure everyone is on the same page and making sure everyone is um, speaking and understanding the same language. Um, and that in and of itself is, I would consider advocacy is making sure that, hey, you know, we're all talking about the same issues. We're all talking about what, like, or like you said, what empowering really means, mm -hmm. like what, what this terminology really means and how it's reflected, not just at a federal level. Cause you know, we talk about terminology and definitions. That's a big thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. what, what we know as empowering or we, we know as community may not be reflected as the same at, in, a, in a policy or uh, yeah. from a policy definition or from a federal definition. So exactly. that in and of itself, it, to me, is really advocating to making sure that the language that's familiar within our communities um, is, is being prevalent and is being used and is being promoted and highlighted at, at that federal level. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, so Delta, like, so my last question for you is really, you know, I know our listeners are, are listening to this and they're thinking, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, the federal level because that, that's where the expertise is at and that's the realm that you, you focus in. Um, but, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably wondering how they can be advocates for their communities and advocates for you know their their tribal their tribal organizations and so what advice or best practices um do you think you could share to help them get started or to take that first step you know uh, this is so basic but it's something that i struggled with and i probably still do but you know believe in yourself and know that you know you know what you're talking about you understand your community um one of the greatest assets in dc is that um you know, my mom is reaffiliated and my dad is Cherokee. So I came from these kind of two different backgrounds. I understood kind of the more Plains perspective and then the Cherokee, you know, the five civilized, I say that in quote, tribe perspective. And, you know, they're different. There's 574 tribes. And, you know, when you understand your tribal communities and you understand where you come from, it really makes a difference. And just that knowledge itself, you know, when I came to DC, we had this so different vocabulary, you know, federal policy is a vocabulary, but Indian country also has a vocabulary. We say things like IHS, CDIB cars, TCUs, and we know what all of these things mean, but when you get into DC, they don't always um, know what that is. They're kind of like, well, IHS, what is that, you know? I remember in college, I did an interview and it was about um, access to medical care. And I mentioned, oh yeah, you know, I just go to IHS and they're like, what is that? You know, and it's like, I don't think we realize how important that knowledge is. So I just wanted to mention that, you know, our vocabulary and those, those experiences that we come from of talking about certificate degree of Indian blood, blood quantum, like we know these things, that's the world we exist in. And that's the world that we kind of navigate. And that knowledge of those things is so important. And that in and of itself is invaluable. You know, you bring something that's invaluable to the table, that perspective. But I also think it's important to have a good network. Um, I'm not always the expert in the room. And I know I'm the person who tries to elevate voices of Indian country, but sometimes I'll say, you know, I have someone here. I know someone in Oklahoma. I know someone in Alaska who can, you know, help us with this. I rely on my network all the time. I don't know how many times I've reached out from people I went to school with at OU people I've met on the road to kind of help either be the voice in the room, because sometimes I need them to be the messenger. So it comes from them directly. And other times it's just, you know, some 
a little bit of policy stuff like, hey, what's going on in Oklahoma with XYZ, this legislation? And it just helps to have that network. So make sure you have a good network. You know, know that your value and your perspective is important. Read. I mean, I read all the time. I grew up reading all the time. It doesn't have to be heavy policy stuff. Sometimes it can just be reading the news, reading your tribal paper and knowing what's happening in your communities from that perspective, but also educating yourself about the different institutions that we have to live under and that we have to kind of deal with on a daily basis. So for the example of education, you know, spend time understanding where those decisions are made. We talk about, I talked about curriculum earlier. Education is largely a state function. You know, federal government only gives you supplemental funds, maybe 10% and it's all supplemental funds. So most of your funding for education comes from the state level and the local level. Find out where that happens. Find out who makes curriculum decisions at the state level, at the local level. Is it the school board, the superintendent? Like just figure out these systems and find some time to try to understand them because that's one of the best things you can do is try to understand the system because you can't really change it if you don't understand it. It's not always glamorous. It's not always, you know, the fun work. And I consider it activism. I consider it kind of working from within the system to change it, which is really hard to do. And I feel like that's what I've been doing these years in DC, but um, I may not have a fun Facebook picture with my fist in the air or anything, but, you know, believe me, I'm out there doing my best to try to make a better future for my nephews, for my nieces. You know, I want them to have better experiences than I had. I want them to, I just want better for them. And I want better for my community and my family. And I think that keeping those reasons close to your heart and keeping family and people and community close to your heart also helps with that work because you need them. You need their support. You need to remember why you do the work. You need to stay grounded. And I hope I do all of those things. So that's kind of my advice for that one. <laughs> and I think that's sound advice. You know, you do it for the ones you care about. Mm -hmm. And I want to say it's a sacrifice. I don't think people realize that, you know, um, being in DC is, it, I love DC. It's fun, but every day I'm there, it's a sacrifice. I'm away from family. I'm away from community. And I come back home as often as I can. Corey, you know this, I'm home. Sometimes you're like, I didn't know you're in Oklahoma. I was like, oh, I just came in for a weekend. You know, I had three day weekend, wanted to come back, uh, go to North Dakota, other places. Cause I want to remember why I do the work. I need to get grounded again. I need to just kind of recharge and home is where I do that. And so, um, but being away is a sacrifice every day, but I feel like I'm sacrificing for something for the greater good and for something beyond me. And I hope that that sacrifice is, you know, is paying off and I think it is, but it's not easy. You know, I wanna make that clear, you know, it can be very hard. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think you, you really kind of summed up a lot of what we've talked about over this season in the representation and visibility and equity and equality, racial equity and equality. You know, we've, we've touched on a lot of these different topics over this, over this past season. And I think it's very fitting, you know, that we end it, that we do this work for our communities, for those, for those that we love. And we do it at a, at a sacrifice, at a cost. Yeah. But we continue to do it. 
we continue to do it. We continue to push. We continue to work because it's work that needs to be done. It's work that our ancestors did. It's work that the generation before us did in one way, shape, or form. It may not look exactly the same what we're doing today, but that spirit is still there. That mentality is still there to make sure, you know, like you said, that for your for your uh, nieces and nephews and your family and um, to make sure that they have an easier path to be able to follow. Right. And, you know, I, I think that's what it's all about and all this work that we do. And so I, I appreciate that. And we appreciate you. And um, we just want to say thank you for sharing space with us. Thank you for sharing your words with us and your stories with us. Um, I know we appreciate it again. You know, a lot of you can't see, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about different things and we're laughing and we're nodding and we're agreeing with each other. I know you can only hear us. And, um, but you know that there's, there's a lot of community that happens here. Yeah. And so we just want to say thank you for sharing that bit of community with us. And to all of our listeners, um, you know, we just want to say thank you again for another great season. Uh, we hope you've been able to pull some uh, pearls of wisdom, as one of my aunties say, out of this, as we, some indigenous pearls of wisdom out of this, as we kind of journey through together this last season. And we look forward to hopefully being back again next year. Um, and so until then, this is your host, Dr. Corey Still. What up?